You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm coming at you with a titillating reminder that pre-sales for the world's first disability-driven sex toy, the Bump and Joystick, are open right now. You can go to www.getbumpin.com. That's www.getbumpin.com. And you can pre-order your very own Bump and Joystick right now. Or you can get a gift card for that deliciously disabled person in your life right now. Do it now. Go get it and be part of this amazing new innovation in sex tech. Thanks, friends. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey Andrew, how are you? Hey Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really, really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. What well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to mm-hmm. therapists before and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, yeah. I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just yeah. worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it. You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it. What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this if anyone listening to this is interested i'm actually offering disability informed support for 40 dollars per session 
whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live it's so fun isn't it it's like so great yes and i i know you also do you also offer support for non-disabled people too right yeah i do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really i mean everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life and well that's a different experience than living with chronic disability i think it's all very related and if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me awesome well i i can't i can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing i'm so excited that there's finally disability centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about and thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, everybody. As I record this show today, I'm in the middle of a little bit of an IBS flare-up for me, so I'm sitting in a diaper as I record this, hoping that my bowels stay okay for the whole recording of this intro, but I'm sharing that with you to say, if you're listening with me right now, I want you to know that if you're wearing a diaper, and if you need to wear a diaper for your needs, diapers are just another access tool. Diapers are just another part of access. They don't make you less than, and they don't make you undesirable. If you're wearing a diaper right now, you are still sexy as fuck, and you deserve to know that. That was more of me really just saying how I felt about it for myself, because sometimes as a disabled person, when I wear a diaper, I don't feel super sexy, but I just wanted to bring that to you, anyone listening, 
who uses pads or uses diapers or uses those things, remember that they are an access need and it's important that you recognize that you are still valuable, you are still worthy, you are not less than if you wear a diaper. just wanted to remind myself of that and remind that of you as well. But now, let's get on to the show today. One of the things that I absolutely love doing on this show is sitting down with non-disabled people and letting them explore their own discomfort around disability and shining a light on how they feel about it and how we can talk about it and how we can build a bridge between non-disabled people and disabled people, especially when we're talking about sex. And I got to do that for uh, for the first part of a two-part episode, and I'm going to bring in the first part today. I got to sit down with my friend and someone that I really admire and value his perspective. I sit down with my friend, Cam Fraser. Cam Fraser is Australia's leading men's sex coach, and he deals with, he talks with and, and does courses with um, men, cishet, able-bodied white men, talking about sex, how to unlearn certain things and how to discuss sexuality. So I thought that it would be really cool to sit down with Cam and give him the chance to ask me, a disabled person, questions around sexuality and disability. And we do that here. We talk about language around disability. What's the right language to use? We talk about ways to incorporate disability in the practices that he does as a men's sex coach. We talk, we share stories. I ask him to think about times when he maybe was practicing ableism and he didn't realize it. We do a lot of unpacking here and I really, really admire that we held space for each other in this interview and we just really sat with each other and and talked about things openly and I loved doing that with him. I loved giving him a little bit of an education that he didn't have before around disability and sexuality and talking about ableism and talking about we talk a little bit about premature ejaculation in this one as well but we go more in depth in the next episode that you'll, that you'll hear from him, which will come out next week. He is really, really a fantastic educator, and I was so happy to be able to just have a raw, real conversation with him around some of his own ableism, disability, and sexuality, and just answer any questions that he had. I think giving people the opportunity to just ask questions without shame and without fear of, of being shut down is really, really important in this space. And as a disabled person and as a disabled educator, it's something that I'm really, really proud that I get to do. And as such, I'm excited that I get to bring those discussions to you on this podcast. So you're going to hear the first part of my episode with Australia's leading men's sex coach, Cam Fraser, right now on Disability After Dark. Cam Fraser, hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on Disability After Dark today. I am I'm I'm, all, I'm again talking to another Aussie, which is a thing that I seem to be doing a lot now. Oh, amazing! Yeah, we're there, there's a few of us here, so we like to we like to <laughs> get on other people's podcasts around the world. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not across the pond. You're down under. I, mean, I, I talk to a lot of UK and like 
people from from the UK. So it's nice to also talk to another Aussie, which I'm doing a lot with Bumpin. So it's really cool. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I just spoke to um, to Rob actually from Love Honey on my podcast the other day. So oh, nice. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, that was quite fun. And uh, yeah, we were talking about Bumpin a little bit, which is cool. Nice, nice. That's good. Thank you for the thank you for the shout out. We appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, so for the folks out there who don't know who you are and who are like, who is Cam Frazier? Can you introduce yourself to the audience a bit? Tell us a bit about who you are, what you do. Yeah, sure. Thanks for the invitation. And um, so uh, my name's Cam and I work as a men's sex coach. And uh, that predominantly means that I work with uh, cis, het, able-bodied white men, uh, people that share my lived experience, um, my uh, demographic, I suppose. And um, the, the history of, of like how I got there in a nutshell, I suppose, is really informed by my own lived experience. Uh, as a younger man, I was very much immersed in a kind of locker room culture. I was a student athlete in America, actually. And, uh, you know, my, my mentality around sex was quite um, unhealthy, I would say, maybe even toxic to use that word. And it was right. like very much every hole was a goal, kind of quantity over quality in terms of sexual experiences. And I was, I felt like I was really performing my masculinity as a young man. And then uh, very serendipitously, I, I seriously injured my lower back, I actually fractured my, my lumbar vertebrae and my spine. And part of that uh, was um, like, well, part of that, that rehabilitation that I had to do for my back was, uh, I was introduced to yoga and Pilates and massage and body work and somatic therapies in general. And uh, it was for the first time ever that I started like listening to my body. And so all these experiences that I had uh, when I was like, you know, a college athlete, I was drinking quite a lot and I was experiencing kind of premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction. And I was um, watching a lot of pornography, like really unhealthily relationship with my pornography usage. Um, all that kind of started to shift as I started to do some bodywork stuff to heal my back. And then part of that was, um, you know, halfway through a Pilates class, I noticed like all these emotions coming up. And, um, and so I went to see a counselor to deal with all the emotions that had come up. And so I started doing like the talk therapy based work and, and the yeah. working on my sexual scripts and, and noticed that my life really transformed after that. So, you know, the sex that I was having got better. I wasn't uh, coming so quickly, I was more in tune with my body, my pleasure. Um, I was more comfortable in myself, so I was speaking up against these men that were being quite misogynistic and toxic themselves. Uh, I was talking more openly to the young women that I was being sexual with and asking them about their their pleasure. Uh, and so I noticed how much of, of an impact it had on me, and I was like really um, intrigued by that and and passionate about it. And so I, I studied that. I studied psychology and um, counseling, and then went into sexology at a post-grad level and uh you know i was really enamored by yoga and those kind of like uh bodywork modalities so when yeah. i studied those and and then tried to bring all that together i suppose over the course of like the last 10 years 10 12 years i've, I've tried to bring all that together in under the umbrella of uh sex coaching as a modality and um that really allows me to draw on the talk therapy based stuff draw on the bodywork based stuff and offer something like I guess like, I suppose the work that I do, right, is in in effect, it's me talking to myself 10, 12 years ago, the stuff that I wished someone had told me, the stuff that I wish someone had guided me through uh, during that time of my life is kind of what I try and do today. And yeah. what I try and speak to is trying to, 
trying to heal the the younger version of myself and and that tends to resonate like i said with that demographic of men um because that's what i speak into is my own lived experience and so a lot of men that uh, are in the same demographic as me share a pretty common lived experience the same anxieties and insecurities and things like that so it tends to resonate well with that group uh, of guys and that's where I'm i didn't that. i didn't well thank you for sharing that i didn't know when you first when you came on that you had in, had had injured your back and that was the reason why all this started so i'm wondering because the show is my show's about disability a little bit i'm wondering like did, did would you say that that injury was disabling in some way yeah, so I was actually reflecting on this when you sent me those questions and I was thinking like, I don't know if it, I would call it, it like disabling, but it definitely like restricted my mobility. Um, yeah. And and so like there was like when I first did it, I remember when I first did it, I was um, I, it, it, it was so painful that I couldn't stand up vertically like I, I was I was bent at like a, a 90 degree angle because my my lower back was was too painful to kind of stand upright. Yeah, uh, but part of my um like part of my, my conversations that I was having with my specialist at the time were like, you need to, you need to lie down. You need to like, not you, I, like, I couldn't play sport. Like I was a student athlete. I was told, you know, you're not allowed to play sport for a year. Um, I was told I wasn't allowed to have sex. Right. I was, I was 16, 17 year old, you know, teenager. And Kid, the yeah. at the time I was told you're not allowed to have sex because that'll injure your back. I, you know, I had to be really mindful about how I was moving about. Um, so I wouldn't say it was like disabling, but it was definitely like restricting in terms of my, my mobility. And do you think that maybe not at the time, but do you think like reflecting back now, it gave you a glimpse on, cause a lot of the stuff you're saying around having to lie down, being, being, um, bed bound, being, you know, being unable to have sex. I'm hearing all that and going, yep, that that's disability related. Yep. That's disability related. Yep. Get it. So did, like, do you think upon reflection that, it gave you sort of a glimmer of kind of what it would be like to have a mobility disability? Um, I mean, I think so. Like I, I have never had a, uh, like a d- disability, I suppose. So I, I, I like, I'm hesitant to say that it's like uh, maybe a glimpse. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of the right word, but I'm hesitant to kind of compare one to the other because it's not a, because it, it's not a disability, I suppose. And so, yeah. uh, I, I, and this is like interesting because I, I, I read. Uh, I was listening to this video the other day about um, anti-racism, and one of the um, educators, he's a um, African American man. He was saying that, like, um, I'll, I'll I'll tie this in. This is related, but he was saying that, like, um, something that he does in his work, what he notices in his work as a anti-racist educator, is um, is like he'll talk about the experience of like what it's like to be an African American to maybe a, a white audience and some of the, the white audience will say like, oh, here's a time where I felt mistreated or here's a time that I felt oppressed yeah, or yeah, yeah. That I felt something happen against me as a way to kind of like bridge the gap between like lived experiences. And, yeah. um, and he says, you know, the reason why kind of white people will do that in that scenario is to, to help them feel less discomfort at the disconnect in lived experiences and so I was like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, guilty of doing that with disability and, and ableism, right? Maybe I'm guilty of going like, oh, here's my experience with limited mobility when I had this particular type of injury, which now no longer really impacts me whatsoever. Yeah. And I'm kind of using that as a way to build a little bit of a bridge to make me feel a little bit less 
uncomfortable, I suppose, having that kind of conversation. So I just wanted to like put that in there because it was really interesting to me. And, and I feel like, oh, maybe I'm kind of doing that in this regard as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. It totally makes sense. And you're not the you're not the first non-disabled person that I've talked to. And you won't be the last non-disabled person that I talked to that has done exactly that. And I think I like what, what you said about the bridge. I think the bridge between non-disabled and disabled people, we need that bridge. So when people do that, like, yes, as a disabled person, it can be really easy for me to roll my eyes and go like, oh, don't do it. But what you what you kind of just said was like really, really valuable of like, they're just trying to find, yes, it, they, they may be trying to distance themselves from the discomfort, but they may also be trying to find like a way to get closer to you. And if I, if, if they compare it and say, like, yeah, it's not the same, but it's sort of similar. Yeah. Like, like, so I think there's some interesting like nuances of like, Cause I could go, I could go, oh, Cam, your story of being injured is not the same. How dare you bring it up? Or mm. I could go like, cool. Let's talk about the ways disability and that experience were the same or different. And I think we're not doing that enough in either the non-disabled or disabled community, finding ways to like, what are the commonalities here? What brings us together? As opposed to like, oh my God, you're an able-bodied guy talking about your injury. Like, on a disability podcast, how dare you? Whereas I'm like, no, let's talk about both those things because they're important. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you saying that because something that like has come up for me is is this idea of like empathy, like empathizing with someone. And I know there's like a school of thought, which is like, you, like it's, it's harder to empathize with someone unless you've had a, a shared lived experience with that person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, you know, I, I've got a lot of people that work with um with women right in the in the realms of sexuality i suppose cis cis yeah. women and i've chosen not to work with with women um collectively in my work because i'm not a woman and i i don't have the lived experience of a woman i don't i don't have a uterus i don't have a clitoris i don't have sex with men for example so for me to work with cis women it feels a little bit like you know i can i can you know i can kind of talk to them intellectually but i don't have that kind of lived experience uh kind of thing to draw on with regards to doing work with them and so it's i've heard similar arguments with regards to like you know uh midwives like a, a lot of uh mums that i've spoken to a lot of mothers have said that they don't necessarily feel as comfortable with a male midwife as they do with a female midwife who's maybe given birth herself because of the the disconnecting lived experiences there and so it's like yeah this component of empathy i think for some people and, and maybe if i reflect on it maybe for me as well a little bit of like oh, I, I don't have the same lived experience of this person. Maybe it's going to be difficult for me to empathize completely with them. Maybe I can sympathize, but in terms of being able to kind of put myself in their shoes, it's quite difficult for me to do that because I've never had that actual lived experience. Well, guess what? At some point in your life, if you're lucky enough, you will have the lived experience of disability. So, <laughs> right. yeah. so get ready for that fun roller coaster of joy coming your way at some point in your life. <laughs> um but as a non-disabled person, and I knew this when we recorded, which is part of why I wanted to have you on, because I wanted, I I've spoken to a lot of sex educators on the show and a lot of non-disabled people, and I want to give you a chance to just ask whatever questions you have around disability, full stop, sexuality and disability, full stop. And even if you think the question is like horrible, I want you to ask it anyway, because I think we're not, because we're so afraid to say the wrong thing and be offensive to a disabled person, we're actually not having the conversations that we need to be having. 
especially in the realm of sex and disability. So I wanted, I, I've done this before on the show with different guests and I want to give you the opportunity to like, just ask me stuff and we can just talk, go from there. So do you have any like burning disability questions or things you were curious about that we could chat about? Uh, I, I do. And thank you for holding that space and, and um, inviting me to join you in it. Um, I guess like my first question is around language um, because I've, I've worked with uh, uh, people on the autism spectrum. And when I was doing that work, I was encouraged to use the terminology people with disabilities. But I've also noticed that you say disabled people or disabled person. And so I'm yeah. wondering, is there a correct or preferred terminology should i just ask the the people or the person that i'm speaking to like what's the situation around that language yeah and that's a great question and one we get i get a lot and i think the answer to that is just ask the person because i think the the now if you're talking to like a group of a bunch of disabled people i would say people with disabilities is fine but i would mm. say that the terminology around how we identify in self-identification as a person with disabilities or a disabled person, or in my case, a cripple or a gimp or like, you know, a fucking hot disabled person. Um, all the, all that terminology has such personal weight that I think that I think it can be really daunting for a non-disabled person to like wade in there and be like, Oh, what do I do? But like, similarly to what we're doing with the trans and non-binary community. I mean, I just recently came out as non-binary and like learning you know, learning people, people tell me like what things to use. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to use whatever I feel comfortable with because that's who I am. So, but, but I think the way we ask like the non-binary community, like, Hey, what are your pronouns? Hey, how do I, how do you want me to refer to you? I think we're, we need to do the same thing with disability identifiers and just say like, Hey, what is your disability identifier? Do you have one? What would you like me to use here? And just be really blunt about like, what do you want me to use? Because what that does is it gives the person agency. It gives the person a chance to say, here is why I want you to use person with a disability because it means no, no, no to me. For me, I would say, I want you to use disabled person because disability impacts every part of my day. Every single thing I do from waking up to going to bed, my disability is with me there whether I want it to be or not, it's there. Um, and so, you know, it's disabilities in my bones, it's in my blood, it's in my, it's literally in my bones because I have a curved spine. So it's in my bones, <laughs> um, but you know, it's in me. And so it's not something that I can run away from. So for me, for me, when people say people with disabilities, I'm like, I'm not taking it with me. It's always been there. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, man. That that does resonate a lot. And I, yeah, my my fallback is just ask, and that's you know the advice I give to the people that I work with as well with regards yeah. to asking people about their um, gender identity as well. So yeah, I appreciate that. That's that makes sense. No worries. Um, my uh, other question is: um, these are the two ones that really like stood out to me when I first kind of um, reflected on this uh, invitation. Is um, it's like around uh, sexual function, I suppose. And the um, like, I work with with you know people that have penises. I work with with cis men, so um, I I talk about erections a lot. And so my question is um, is yeah, it's just around erections. It's like people that that are in uh, uh, that are wheelchair users, I suppose. Um, I guess it maybe depends on the type of disability. But it, like, what's the what's the um, the is there difficulties uh maybe for you or for people in that are wheelchair users like getting erections maintaining erections is there like i don't really know any any yeah 
studies around erection function I, and wheelchair users? I think it's dependent on the disability. I think if you have a spinal cord injury and the injury is like on the lower part of your spine, I'm not a, I have no idea what the, I know it's L and C and T and that's all I know. So, but I think it's, if it's like an, it's like a lower injury that can affect your, your ability to get an erection. I know for me with cerebral palsy, getting an erection is not a problem, but you talked earlier about, you know, premature ejaculation. That's something that I deal with a lot because I don't get to access sexuality or I don't get to masturbate the way that a normal person with a penis would. Um, and so, oh, I just said the word normal gross. A person with a penis would. Um, and so, you know, I sometimes will come when I don't want to, like, mm. you know, I'll give an example of me coming and I don't want to. I was with an attendant one day and we, they were just in my room doing laundry and we were just having a chat. Nothing, nothing, you know, personal care was happening. And I just came and it was so, so embarrassed because I was like, what do I, first of all, not even attracted to you. Like there's no, there was no turn on whatsoever. And I just came and I, I did it quietly enough that like I, there was no big explosion. It was just quietly. I quietly just came in my in my pants and I was like, this is embarrassing because like, of course, the disabled guy would just would just come without warning. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Of course. And I, you know, I've been dealing with that for years since I lost the ability to masturbate, um, which is why we started bumping. But I lost the ability to masturbate. And so the shame around having to call somebody because I've even watched a minute of porn and I like watched them in and got excited my brain didn't know what to do and then I come and it's well that's really it's so the shame that's there I don't think we talk about it enough of like it's not and I don't know if you remember when you were younger and it was happening to you but it's not like something that you're like yeah I just came you're like oh that's so like there's so much mm -hmm. there's so much shame I had and have when it's still when it happens to me yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, man. I, I suppose like my question is around that in particular is, do you feel betrayed by your body? Oh my God, that's such, do we have three more hours for me to go through my body, <laughs> my body with betrayal? But I would be, I think, you know, yes, I do feel betrayed by my body and I feel betrayed and people like not to, not to sound weird, but dudes that I've slept with have been like, wow, you have such a great dick. Like it's really, it's hot. And so when my, great dick does that i'm just like well this is fun. this is not what's supposed to happen like mm. what why are you doing this and so like a funnier version of that story is i was on the train to go see my mom because she lives about an hour away and i was on the train just to go see her we go we see each other about every like every weekend i go over there and i hang, i spend the day so i was on the train going to see her and i just came no not wasn't aroused wasn't turned on it just happened so fine fine and then then I get off the train. She goes, "You're wet. What happened?" And I went, "Well, listen. I got to tell you. I got to just. I'll be honest. I came on the train, and she just started laughing. Goes, oh, well, whatever. No big deal. And we moved on. But I will say that, like, sometimes if I know a sex worker is coming over, or if I know someone that I like, we're gonna fuck. Even before they get here, I'll come. And I, I remember an experience where I was. I hired a sex worker, one that I hadn't worked with before. And they were coming over and just as they walked in the door, me thinking about what we were going to do made me come. And it was so, and like, now I would say, fuck it, give me 10 minutes, we'll go again. But like, I was just embarrassed because 
the minute I told him what happened, he goes, oh, well, I guess the session's off. And I was like, well, that's not, no, like if you just wait a minute, it'll be, it'll be fine. But the expectation that the minute you come, it's over. And because my body did it to me, I, I felt so, so betrayed by my body because I, I feel because I'm disabled, this is why this is happening because I don't have access to my hands to masturbate because I can't access the toys on the market. P.S. Go buy the go pre-order the bumping right now um, because I don't have access to all that. Um, it's just really embarrassing, and because we don't talk about that really in disability circles or in male circles, at least the ones that I've been in, we're not sitting yeah. around like chatting about our premature ejaculation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, very close to home with regards to some of the work that I do with some guys that do experience. Um, premature ejaculation before penetration, right? Like that, that's a very um, shame-laden conversation for them to have. Uh, and I, I um, this is something that I, I wanted to speak to you about as well, but I, I, I want to circle back around to that because there was something that you mentioned uh, that I, I didn't realize was you said you lost the ability to masturbate. And so um, I, I was just curious about that progression i suppose a transition from being able to masturbate to losing that ability what, what's that been like yeah i lost it a couple of years ago i from the time i was like 11 like every good kid that knows that wants to learn about the body i learned how to masturbate and i was like this is amazing i'm gonna do this every night of my life and then i'll sleep better which i did for years it was great and mm. as my cp has progressed and my body's gotten older and my body's changed the hand, the muscles of my hands got tighter and tighter and tighter. And so doing the, like I used to, to jerk off with my, I couldn't pump. So I would use my thumb and I would just stroke the head of my penis until I got hard enough and came. It was great. It really worked. It was super accessible, but because of my disabilities, that action repeatedly got painful, really, really painful in my hands. And I was like, and I would try and I would like try to muster up the like, excitement to do it okay i'm gonna jerk off today yeah yeah i'm gonna do it and i it would just hurt so i just was like fucking i'm gonna i'm just gonna stop for a while and then when i tried to do it again it just hurt and the spasms in my hands and the spasms like because of cp if you get excited in any sort of way your body will spasm so if i'm getting turned on my body will tense and not relax so like i was just like i can't do it because it's hurting my hands so i just stopped and so I could still try and I have tried like recently and it just hurts. So I just kind of was like, well, I guess I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty, um, I don't know, man. I, I, I um, yeah, I, I sympathize for you, dude. Like that, that's, that's rough to, to have that taken away almost. Right. Yeah. Um, not having that ability anymore. That that's full on. And I mean, you, you know, we talked about bodily betrayal. That was, that has been, a continued moment because right around the time that happened I also lost the ability to pee and lost the ability to have like now I have to use a catheter so very in very quick succession over say one or two years my body's like rapidly changed the things it can and can't do and I think mm. the grief around that has been really hard because as a public facing figure I want to go out there and be like yeah disability is great but inside sometimes and like, you know I talk about sex and disability so I always want to be like sex and disability is so hot here's why you should fuck the hottest it's like that's what i have to do in my job but sometimes i get home from doing that or I get off the zoom from doing that i'm like i don't i hate my sexuality like this is so frustrating because i can't 
do like and particularly for me as a as a queer man like so like the the big conversation in queer male communities is like oh yeah got up had a couple wanks um watched some porn wanked again like it's so prevalent in like particularly queer male spaces of just like jerking off and having the freedom to do so with everybody having an OnlyFans and a Just for Fans page now, like jerking off is now commodified. And so part of me feels like maybe if I could jerk off, I could make more money. Like maybe if I had, was a, was a, a cam performer, I could like, how hot would that be? And I don't know. It just feels like not being able to do that. I've lost it on so many opportunities and I've lost it on like the, predominant queer male discussion of like yeah i jerked off today and now i'm gonna like it's so prevalent in cis queer men to just discuss jerking off like it's like i had a drink of water oh i jerked off and for me i can't do that and that's really hard that's quite interesting i didn't i didn't quite realize that about the like queer cis male space um and that's something i want to look a bit more into so thank you for prompting me to do that um i guess like the i have a question here around um I suppose authenticity, right? And you kind of acknowledge this just then. It's, it's, you know, do you do you feel, do you personally feel like there's because of because of your role, there's an expectation on you to kind of be the positive like face to not maybe share some of those feelings where you're like really hating your disability or really hating the the or, or like feeling really betrayed and, and having those maybe darker moments. Do you feel like you shouldn't share that online or that you can't share that online because of the role that you have? I did for a long time. And I, I felt often felt like I had to play the role of like sex and disability is great. Yeah. And sometimes mm. I have to do that, like for certain bump and things I have to go out and be that spokesperson and that's fine. But you've seen my Instagram, you know, you've seen some of the stuff that I post, <laughs> like I'm pretty raw about it. Cause I just think if we're not having authentic conversations around what our body's doing for me specifically as a disabled person, like, then what are we even doing? Like I think also in the disability space online, there's this expectation to be overly positive or overly negative. And I kind of sit somewhere in between being like, I just want to tell the truth or my truth anyway, about what's what I'm feeling and what I like and what I want and how, you know, how, how my disability feels that day. And so I use social media to really just get my feelings out. It's almost like a, it's almost like a live journal for me. Like, here's a, here's a thought I had. I'm going to put it out there. Hope that it like resonates with somebody. Um, but I, I, I used to feel like I couldn't talk about the lows. And now the lows are some of my favorite places to explore because it really gets underneath all of that public facing stuff we have to do. Like, I'm sure similarly to you and the work you do, maybe you, you have to, to show how it's okay to be like positive stuff around cis hat male stuff that sometimes isn't so positive and so like when you get to crawl underneath that for a minute and like go in the trenches and talk about that it's really cathartic for me anyway to be like I hate my disabled body today I wish that I wasn't disabled like I wish that I could just snap my fingers and walk for a minute and I've 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 talked about that and people are like oh so you're you're against being disabled I'm like no not at all but right in this moment yeah I don't want to be <laughs> like no I don't so I really take joy in talking about that stuff because I don't think we're doing that enough in disability space and in just space in general. I think we've been, especially with social media, we've been expected to put on a positive spin on everything. And I enjoy 
not going directly the other way, but like going underneath all the stuff being like, okay, let's talk about all the feelings around this. So what I like to do is talk about how disability feels because we don't tend to do that. Yeah, that really resonates with me actually. And, and um, you're right, I, I do, uh, I see what you post on social media and I am, I love it, man. I, I love the, uh, the, the uh, rawness with which you post. And I, I do my best to try and emulate that kind of way of showing up online because I think it's necessary, right? I, I think you hit the nail on the head with regards to social media very much being like this uh, positive face that a lot of people, a lot of us, you know, I, I've been in that you know space before of just yeah. like only one side of me on online. And so, especially now that I've become a parent as well, I try to like talk about some of the lows, right? Because there's, there's quite a lot of like, oh, parenting's amazing and becoming a parent is like the best thing in the world and you should have kids. And, and so, and I've noticed that. And so I try to like balance that out with my own little posts about like, well, actually it's a fucking nightmare sometimes. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, it's not all sunshine daisies and so um so that's been yeah that's been something that I, I really try and do in, in my own little social media bubble uh, and the little you know uh, modest audience that I've got um hopefully they kind of get the the they get all sides of me you know I, I try yeah. to be upfront about that I think the nuances are really fun too I think going to those places and hearing like hearing people say on my post about I don't want to be disabled or something around disability having them say like I read your stuff and I feel like I'm not alone. That's mm. like, that's a huge, like, wow, cool. First of all, you're reading my shit. What? Secondly, like you, I'm making you feel something that is a positive byproduct of me feeling like shit. Awesome. That's like, there's something really cool in that. And if I can do that and just share experiences and give voice to people who don't feel like they have one or make them feel like they're seen a little bit, like that's powerful. So I'm going to continue to do that. Yeah, yeah, I really like that actually, and and I've I've received similar messages, and and it's been yeah, it's very humbling, because uh, especially, I mean, having a having an opinion about sexuality online, you're like everyone, oh. like <laughs> like assholes, right? Everyone's got an opinion about sexuality, and so um and so we get well, at least I I know that I get you know some pretty questionable comments and messages online, and and so it's nice to kind of get. It, the the what is it the, the rose among the thorns of people that say yeah. you know, thank you so much for talking about this and you've kind of really helped me it's really lovely to receive those messages i mean like i certainly get comments of people who do, who are disabled who don't agree with what i post and to them mm -hmm. i just say like okay good you know i'm learning i'm learning to because i also have anxiety when you know i have that thing we all have where if somebody if you think someone doesn't like you you're like oh fuck so like mm -hmm. i'm learning to leave the post up and to not scramble to immediately take the post down and be like, let them have their thought. Your thought is your thought. It's fine. It's, it's a learning process for sure. But we, you know, <laughs> I definitely, I, I am so humbled by the fact that people read what I put up there. Like mm, never yeah. thought they would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still get a little bit um, shocked when someone says they listen to a podcast episode and I'm like, Oh, wow. That I, you know, I do, I do the podcast because it's <laughs> fun and enjoyable for me. Uh, if people listen to it, they listen to it, but it's so lovely to, to kind of receive that feedback. Um, uh, Andrew, I wanted to, to make sure that we jumped into this cause I'm just mindful of time, but that I wanted to really acknowledge something, uh, based on the questions that you sent me, um, that, uh, feels a little bit uncomfortable for me to, to acknowledge, but I wanted to do it because I know you're holding the space for it. And I, I want to really utilize that, okay. um, which is like one of my biases, I suppose, or, or how I'm, you know, uh, how I'm 
uh, maybe unintentionally practicing ableism. Um, and yeah, that's that was I wanted, okay with you for me to dive into. Yeah, yeah, let's jump right in there. Okay, right. So I was I was thinking about this, and I, I something that really jumped out to me straight away was um, like I give I give a lot of uh, practices, like physical practices for people to do. Right. I I, I tell people to self pleasure in a certain way. I tell people to breathe in a certain way. I tell people to do certain exercises like stretching and uh, releasing of muscles and things like this, which, you know, I had never really thought too much about. It's like, oh, just go and do these exercises, right? I was a yoga teacher. So I was just very much like, go and do these practices. Yeah. And it, you know, as I it kind of really like slapped me in the face when I read this question, I was like, <laughs> oh, well, that's a, there's a whole section of, you know, the community that can't do, literally cannot do those practices and those activities. And I've never really, if I'm totally brutally honest, I've never really made any concessions for, for that. I've never really tried to be more inclusive in terms of the practices. I've just said, no, do these. And if you can't do them, well, then tough. Yeah, I would, I would suggest that maybe we change, maybe you change the outcome and say something like, if you can't do these, let's find, let's me, you maybe could do some research with that person or for that person on like what, because I'm assuming that when you tell somebody how to self-pleasure a certain way, like it's in, it's involving the guy jerking off the way that guys normally do and teaching them about like the different pleasure centers of the penis, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So if you can't do that, like you might want to explore like how does a person's hands work? Where like how like maybe really if somebody says I can't do, have you ever had anybody come to you and say I can't do that? Or have you like not uh i think because of the way that i present my information I, i've never really had people that have mobility issues or have disabilities come and do work with me because okay. of the fact that i don't really acknowledge it in the first place i think okay well so my bigger suggestion is start acknowledging it even in, in small ways just being like hey putting on your flyers putting on your presentations like hey if you're disabled or if you're a wheelchair user and you want to come you want to cut and you want to come in whatever way that looks like for you um or you want to come to my session like come and we'll talk about it and be very blunt about how you don't know like don't pretend like you do just like i have no idea but i want to learn and the only way i can learn is if we do it together or maybe you hold a class with a bunch of male cis hat wheelchair users in perth and just be like i'm not going to instruct today i want you to talk to me about what your reality looks like because i have no idea just be really blunt about that and i think giving them a space to just share with you and then you can then take that information and infuse it into your practice or do a do and do a session with a disabled co-instructor and you know pay them half and or pay them you know whatever you make or half of that and be like cool we're gonna do it together and you can teach me how to make my practice better like so there are little, and you don't have to do that right away, obviously, but there are little things you can do to be like, I want to learn about this and I want to explore. Because I think saying, if you can't do that, well, then too bad. That's what that does for you as an, as an educator is it closes you off to the yeah. possibility and it closes you off to expanding your practice into something that is actually inclusive. And I think you just saying tough was blissful ignorance of like, well, nobody in a wheelchair showed up, so don't have to acknowledge it. Like, yeah. but what would happen if I roll up in the room and was like, hey, wanna 
I want to do your class. What are you going to do? You'd be like, oh, oh, I don't know. So like openly saying, like maybe you just do a thing where you find five disabled dudes who are wheelchair users and say like, come, let's have lunch. I'll pay for it. Come just tell me stories about your, fuck, maybe we should do that together. <laughs> maybe we should do that together. <laughs> like, cause you know, we can do it over Zoom now. Everyone can do it. Maybe that's yeah. something that could be done because I think you as an educator need to be educated. And yeah, every disabled guy has a different story about their sexuality and that could really help you maybe. So there are small things you can do to, to like start that conversation and remove tough from like, you know, obviously you wouldn't say tough, but remove like that block in your mind of like, well, if you can't, you can't. Um, and just say like, I want to f- say openly in your like calms and stuff, just say, I want to learn how to do this. I am, I don't know how to, I don't, don't know how to teach for this, but I want to learn. Yeah. I really love those suggestions. Thank you so much. Um, it, you, you mentioned something there that I, I think is important to acknowledge as well, which is like, if for example, you said, Hey, I want to come to do one of your workshops, me, you know, performing inclusivity. I'd be like, yeah, sure. You can come along. No worries. Like, and yeah, then yeah. you'd come and I, and then I probably wouldn't offer any, particular advice that would be relevant to you at all um so I, I really yeah I, I I know that I would I would do that um so I need to yeah make sure that I'm upskilling and educating and and um and and yeah working and collaborating with with people like yourself and I love the idea of doing like a um yeah the joint joint session and the the like uh a workshop as well for for wheelchair users or for cis men cishet men with disabilities I think is going to be really powerful um yeah, and I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to implement that. That was such a great idea. Thank you. It could just be, it could, and it could be really fun. Like, I think maybe one of the things you could do, and I was just thinking as you were talking, like maybe you, you, I'm sure there are other male educators in the space that, that you know and have talked to. Maybe you say, hey, we all need to sit in a room together and figure out how we're not connecting with this community. Figure out mm. what our own biases are together in a safe space where they can say like, yeah, I'm afraid of wheelchair users because I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm afraid of this because I don't know how to I don't know how to navigate this. How would I help somebody if how? Like, so I think also creating a space where educators, able-bodied non-disabled educators, can be like, I have ableism around this. I think giving yourself permission to say those ableist things, kind of like we're doing here, is really valuable and I think people are so afraid it's this it's the same with racism and all those things we all of us think things that are racist that are ableist that are really really like not great but because social mores tell us we're not allowed to do that because it makes us a bad person we think all this stuff but we don't say it out loud and I think if you especially around ableism and I'll speak to that because I don't want to go into the race thing too much because I'm a white person but (laughs) but um you know, around ableism, if you have a space where you can say the thing that you think is really horrible and the other person doesn't shut you down and says, cool, let's talk about that. I think a whole bunch of educators sitting in a room who are not disabled would be like, yeah, I don't think that cis head disabled guys can fuck. I don't think that cis head disabled guys can masturbate. I didn't even know they could come. Like letting them put out all those questions out and then just talking it through with maybe like a disabled moderator to be like, cool, here's why what you said is ridiculous. Oh, like, thank you, but it's ridiculous and hilarious. Like giving them all those 
giving them a safe space to just talk, I think it's really could be really valuable too. Yeah, man. Oh, you're you're um, you give me so many like things to to like rabbit holes to go down because something that I notice a lot in particularly the um the the educators that share my my kind of like demographic I suppose the, the other men that work with cishet men is like this idea around being like the dominant or the aggressive or the kind of like the the partner who like ravishes their female partner the one who like kind of takes control takes charge kind of like steps into their quote-unquote masculine energy and and whatever like whatever the the languages that they use but like who's the person who who like kind of manhandles their partner a little bit and, and is able to kind of like be dominant and, and in control that way and like that is totally not inclusive of of you know people that have a disability or wheelchair users and so yeah. there's whole learning around that as well which i think is going to be really important and i mean also there's a bunch of like just and I, I don't even think he meant to but there's a bunch of like misogynist stuff there that feels really yeah. weird like yeah exactly like, that i mean that's that's the issue that i have with it but that's only one issue there's another issue as well which is the, the ableism in it yeah like i was making out with a guy a couple weeks ago a friend of mine we had been talking for four years about getting together and fucking around and finally we did and he said to me on a podcast that I recently recorded, I don't know if by the time you listen to this, it's, it'll be, oh, who knows? Um, but he said, like, I noticed that when you wanted to kiss me, you couldn't physically, like, get to me to do it. So you had to show me with your eyes and your face that you wanted to, like, make out. And, like, that was eye-opening for me because I didn't even know I did that. He was like, you have all these unhidden, all these, like, hidden cues that you give to men to be like, come closer, do this. Like, so I think, I think also finding ways to incorporate facial facial expressions into like the dominance because i think dom and sub play can be really fun so i think like you know using that those ideas of dominance but quite not quieting them but changing the way we assume dominance is i'm gonna come over and i'm gonna take you in my arms we're gonna fuck it'll be great a wheelchair user can't do that so how can they assert dominance or like desire over someone while being a wheelchair user and i would say it's in the eyes it's in the face it's in a lot of disabled men that i know who are cishet or just even just disabled men period will use humor to like get the person comfortable with them and they'll make a bunch of jokes that are off color that are like about their disability hoping that the other person will get it and then like fall for that but yeah there's a part of me as a wheelchair user that's like yeah i want to take you yeah i want to i want to be aggressive yeah i want to and I can't do any of that. So like we talked earlier about bodily betrayal. Like I can't, even when I'm with the hottest sex program, we're fucking like, I cannot do that with somebody. And so learning to both let go of dominance and also find different ways to express it. Like if I'm getting blown by the sex worker or the guy that I'm seeing or whatever it is, I can say, I can use my voice to be like, do it harder, do it this way. Like that's how I can assert dominance, but it's still not the same. And there is a sense of loss that way. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking into that because yeah, I, I draw issue with um, the way a lot of these guys speak about, you know, masculinity and dominance, especially in a sexual sense. And yeah, part, like something that I'd never really even considered is criticizing them or critiquing them, I suppose, for, like the the fact that there there are men that sim, like that, that can't do that physically, and so um, I think there's there's a whole 
learning there, not only for me, but for also like the group of men that I am kind of colleagues with as well. Um, so I think there's a, there's a really big uh, shift that could come and learning that can come in, in our depth of understanding around like, yeah, just sexual interactions, I suppose. And um, I really love the idea of like facial expressions and, and using words and language. Uh, that's, that's really powerful. Yeah. And I mean, I think there, I think there's a big issue with masculinity and disability. The movie that I'm thinking of that really portrayed this pretty well was murder ball. I don't know if you saw it. It came out about 15 years ago and it was about, really? it was about the like 2005 Canadian and U S like wheelchair rugby team or whatever. And it followed the group of men and it was, kind of like what you were saying earlier a lot of locker locker room talk and a lot of like visuals of these disabled men like being misogynistic with women and being like oh yeah this woman's gonna blow me even though i'm in a wheelchair like super aggressive macho machismo masculine shit and i a lot of a lot of disabled men who become disabled and end up as a wheelchair user um through an accident or something often feel like they have to portray this super masculine super thing and for me being born disabled and needing help from day one to do something as basic as wiping my own ass like I think that masculinity is it's not put into you because I had to require help mostly from women my entire life my mom my aunts my family and female caregivers um I learned to just be not submissive, but just didn't have to be aggressive because if I was aggressive and I got mad at somebody, <laughs> they weren't going to help me do the thing I needed. So I learned to just, not that I couldn't show when I wanted to, but also just be softer. And I've, I kind of appreciate that more that because I was born disabled and born into a body that required help from day one, I learned to be not passive, but dominant in a different way with a gentler part of me and I appreciate that and that's one of the things I'm glad my disability gave me yeah I, I think that that's quite an interesting um like conversation to have around you know people that are born disabled as you were as you were saying or people that like like they they end up in a wheelchair I suppose yeah right? or they, you're being a wheelchair user because of something um something else and so um like I, I know I've spoken I've spoken to um, a couple of uh, people who are trans on my you know podcast my own podcast and something they've shared with me is like almost like hyper performing either femininity or masculinity in order to maybe compensate or to you know to to kind of swing the pendulum the other way yeah. in order to to you know fit a mold and then that kind of swings back to a to where they feel more comfortable. Um, and so I'm wondering if like that, that similar or something similar is kind of happening for people that do end up in a wheelchair as a wheelchair user, um, if they're kind of performing that hyper masculinity in order to kind of make up for somewhere where they, they feel like their masculinity has been lost or they feel like, you know, their perceived idea of what it means to be a man is somehow kind of taken away from them. And, and if they're trying to make up that and compensate for it in different ways. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think so. I would definitely agree with that statement. I think for me though, even being born with disabilities, when I would go to a gay bar in my twenties or go out to, in queer spaces, all I would see was like mask, mask for mask, like super muscular, like dude bros who would make out with each other. And I'd be like, Oh, this is what's attractive to queer men. So I would lower my register a bit. I'd be like, hey man, what's up? Like I'd do this whole 
performance of what I thought masculinity should be. And I would always be like, I know I can't walk, but like my dick works. Want to like hang out from the-? And it was so ridiculous and so silly. And I would, when I was in college, I would dress up every Friday and Saturday in this ridiculous costume of like a tank top with, with a chain and with like jeans on to show my muscles. And then I would go to this bar the real Andrew would be nervous as fuck being like, what am I doing? This is so stupid. But I would go there and I would perform this masculinity because I knew they already weren't looking at me as a viable partner. I knew they were like, oh, there's that guy in the wheelchair. And I was like, if I butch it up and like make them think that I'm a sexual option for them, maybe I'll get in here. And I very quickly realized that it doesn't matter how masculine I am. My disability is still in the way, but I do fully understand the the performance the performative aspect of masculinity as a disabled person and how hard it is because a lot of straight disabled men that I see in wheelchairs at least the high profile ones I'm thinking of like not Dylan Alcott but the Dylan Alcott's of the world like and I mean, he's great I'm not saying he isn't great but but that pressure to be like a dude really really masculine or like you know Oscar Pistorius before all that stuff happened his whole brand was I'm super masculine I'm disabled and I'm gonna overcome and like I think for me as a also for me as a power wheelchair user I think it's different when you're like in a sleek sexy racing chair and you can do all this with your arms and you have that musculature in your body to like race a wheelchair that's again that's a whole other layer of masculinity that is put on those athletes whereas like for me in a power chair I can't do that I don't have the musculature to support that and so when I roll in in my power chair and say like hey I'm cool too everybody goes well you're not a wheelchair athlete so like what the fuck like you don't you don't do wheelchair rugby you don't do racing you don't you're like what are you gonna offer so I think there's so many layers of masculinity and disability we could explore yeah totally like I mean We've, we've kind of been speaking about it, but like sporting and competitive sports is such, especially here in Australia, if I think about like my childhood and growing up, like it was drilled into you, you as a young boy do sport to be a- Yeah, like you know, rugby or a swimmer. Play soccer or footy or, you know, you, you do something physical in, you know, in order to kind of signal your masculinity or signal your kind of inclusion in what it means to be a man i suppose and so yeah like it seems to be based off like what you're sharing like there's a similar thing happening for like wheelchair users and if you're in a power chair right you you're kind of not um not included i suppose in that idea of like you know being an athlete or being sporty or being kind of masculine in, in that particular way, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at least that's what I've what I've noticed. Um, now, because we chatted about masturbation a while ago, and it's a question yeah. that I want to get in before we run out of time. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I do this thing on the show called What Would Happen If You Became Disabled Tomorrow? And I wanted to kind of throw in a little question for you. So because you talk about masturbation and male masturbation a lot, and we kind of talked about that earlier, I want to ask you, if you were to become disabled tomorrow and you were to lose the ability to self-pleasure, how do you think you would feel? Like, how does that idea, even the, how does the idea strike you when you read the, when you first read the question? Uh, I, I mean, 
in full transparency, the first thing was I was uh, I, I was scared. Uh, there was some fear. There was some anxiety around like, holy shit, like this is such a pretty big part of my life. Like if I was to lose that um, tomorrow, I, um, like, it, yeah, it frightens me a little bit. Um, more than a little bit, it frightens me a lot. Um, and I mean, that has softened a little bit because that, I mean, that's my knee jerk reaction. And that, that then underneath that, there's like the, no, you know, about bumping, you know, about, you know, you've got a partner, like, you know, you've got like the support, you're an educator, like, you know, all these other things. So like that, that initial anxiety or fear is definitely softened when I, when I think a little bit deeper, but my knee jerk reaction was, was holy shit. <laughs> this is my knee jerk reaction. Um, so yeah. Does that, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does totally. And I, I, that I was, I was kind of hoping for that knee-jerk reaction of like, holy shit, because like, because so many people when they talk about disability, and I bring up this question, I, I've asked like Dan Savage this, I've asked like big, big names this question, and they'll be like, <laughs> I remember Dan Savage was like, uh, can I say it would suck? And I was like, yeah, yeah, good. And he was so unsure of like what the next steps are. So like, I like that you said holy shit because I think why I ask it so bluntly is because I think we don't talk about that fear enough. Mm. We don't talk about you're afraid of losing your ability. You're afraid of how people will see you. You're afraid of like you not being considered sexually desirable anymore. And like, I think getting non-disabled men to like explore that. First of all, I love putting them in places of like minor discomfort where they have to explore it. But also I'm here to say if it happens tomorrow, there will be support there will, like just like you said there's there's bumping there's you know educators there's other people who are talking about this but we need to talk about it more um so how do yeah. you think how do you think like that loss would affect your mental health um i mean yeah i think it would i think it would definitely have a have a um initially a detrimental impact on my on my mental health like i like i um uh, you know what, what, what scares me is the learning curve. Like I would have to relearn and, and also learn a bunch of new things. Um, you know, and I, I, um, yeah. And that, that, that's scary to me of, of like having to go through that learning process. Um, and you know, it would, it would affect my relationship with my, my partner, um, you know, and, and it would, it would affect my relationship with my son as well. You know, like I, something that I do, a lot with my son is I crawl around and I play on the floor with him and I chase him, you know, through the house and I pick him up and do things like this. And so like it, um, you know, and so that would change my relationship with him would, would change. And that's really, that really scares me as well. Um, yeah. I think that fear is valid. And I love that you voiced it because Again, most people, when we talk about it, they're like, oh, yeah, no big deal. I'll be there to help you or whatever. But I think the fear of becoming disabled, especially how it would affect your relationship with your partner and how it would affect your relationship with your son, like the son part is the thing that I, that I am most curious about. Because like, if you were disabled tomorrow and your son had to, to watch you go from ambulatory to like, let's say a full-time wheelchair user, he would learn really quickly that, oh, dad's in a wheelchair. Like, kids are really great that way and how resilient they are like oh this is what it is now <laughs> all right moving on like um but i think for you the fear of what this would mean for parenthood 
and fatherhood and like is really palpable. And I don't think people talk about what, you know, I don't think we hear from enough disabled fathers out there being like, yeah, I'm a full-time wheelchair user and I have a kid. What's yeah. that like? Like, and I know there are wheelchair users listening out there. And if you're listening, sign up. I want to, I want to talk to you because actually come on both our shows. We, we yeah, both want to talk to you. But, you know, I think I like that it scares you, not because like, I, I like that you're scared, but it, it's hopefully giving you like something to explore as you do what you do. Yeah, no, it, it 100% does. And, and yeah, I, I haven't, I, I don't think I've spoken to a wheelchair user who is also a father. I don't know if I've ever actually had that conversation. Um, so it's definitely something that I would love to do and need to do. Um, because yeah, my, my ideas about fatherhood are very rooted in being able-bodied, I suppose. And, and like projecting that into the future with regards to like, kicking a ball around with my son or you know I was, I was literally just playing soccer last night and my my fiance said to me oh, I can't wait for you to play soccer with you know our son and um and so that's you know obviously presuming that by the time he's able to kick a ball around I'm I'm able-bodied and so yeah um yeah just yeah it, it's a whole um wormhole I suppose that I haven't really gone down and haven't really put a lot of thought into um and yeah lots of unpacking I suppose well if- to go back to, to you and your son playing soccer, if you were a wheelchair user and he and you were playing soccer with him, you would just be the goalie. It's fine. You would just, you would just <laughs> yeah, sit it. there in your wheelchair and it would be okay. like, like, I think what I, I guess what I'm trying to convey to you is that if the larger question of if you became disabled tomorrow, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the end. It would just mm. mean adaptation. And so when it does happen to you, because when he's like 25, and you get older, your body's going to do things you don't want it to do. So when you start noticing disability, like, don't be too scared of it because it's coming. Like, it's coming. Or your son might fall in love with a disabled person. And then there it is. Like, like you know, disability will become a part of your life one way or the other. Um, yeah, but with your... you say that, Andrew, as well, because my, my, my father in particular is losing mobility i suppose as he gets older and so we're noticing yeah um yeah he, there's like he's a little bit more frail now as well and so he's having trouble in certain things and um and so yeah you're, you're 100 right and i really think that 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 hasn't landed for me um and i want to acknowledge that that you know that it will you know more than likely become a part of my life in some way or another i don't think that has fully I fully let that land for me. So I definitely need to do a bit more on that. Yeah. I think people, I think people are afraid of the, when I, when I say that to, and I say that to a lot of people, that's like my, that's like my go-to phrase. It's like, it's going to happen to you. Don't be afraid. Yeah. It's coming your way. One way. And then people go, oh, what do you mean? I'm not ready. And it's like, well, you're not supposed to be ready. It just happens. <laughs> so like, yeah. I think, I think that I would offer, be ready for the discomfort, but know that you can just, hop on a zoom with me and i'll talk you through as best i can um but also like back to the masturbation piece if you lost the ability to self-pleasure like aside from like partners or anyone else do you think that you would do you think you would what 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 do you think you would go through if you had to like have that happen um, well, I suppose like my my relationship to self pleasure at the moment is um, 
like there's a couple of different like relationships that I have. One is like it, it self-pleasure is part of a um, like release exercise, right? It's like I, I, I'll use self-pleasure if I'm feeling pent up or if I'm feeling frustrated or if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'll use it as a way to release and relax. And if that was, you know, not available to me anymore, then um, I'd probably feel some pent up frustration that I, that was no I wonder I get so pissed off so fast. I can't come. No wonder. <laughs> so I'd have to find a, like a, a, an alternative to that. Um, and that would be like challenging. I know that would be challenging because of you know the fact that I use self-pleasure in that way. But another relationship that I have with self-pleasure, and this is quite interesting because we didn't really touch on it, is like I use it as a way to um, like in a, maybe more of a spiritual sense. Like I use it as a way to practice like, um, sublimation or transmutation or moving sexual energy through my body as a way to kind of cultivate that spiritual practice, almost like a yoga practice or, you know, prayer or meditation. I use self-pleasure in that way. Um, and so it has like a bit more of a, a profound meaning to me when I use it in, yeah. that, in that way. And so, um, and so it's kind of like, you know, if that was taken away from me, um, I don't have any other way of like, well, I've never really learned any other way or no one's really talking about it as well how to practice sublimation and sexual transmutation and moving sexual energy through your body in that like kind of tantric Taoist spiritual sense for for people that aren't you know able-bodied I suppose for, for people that have a disability so that that's like something that I would would really struggle with yeah and that's something that I struggle with too of like because I read the ultimate guide to sex and disability which is like a 20 year old book and that talks about you know just imagine yourself being touched imagine yourself getting hard and I tried that and it's really hard to yeah. imagine imagine yourself getting erect when you're not when there's no stimulation it's I mean I, I, I managed to do it but holy fuck it took so much energy and like <laughs> concentration and I was like shouldn't I be enjoying getting hard not mad that I have to get hard like what's so I think too like but I think you can retrain yourself to look at sexuality in a spiritual way. So like when I, when I have uh, premature ejaculation, now, I'm just like, Oh, I guess that's, you know, I think about it like, Oh, that's is what it is. So like, maybe you can transform the transmutation into like, why well, can't, if you were disabled, you could, or, you know, maybe even practice it now. So that if you have a dis- uh, wheelchair using client come in, you can be like, all right, well, I've done some stuff in in like a seated position. Let me let let's work on this. Maybe if you like put that in your daily ideas of release versus like I'm gonna get off now. Maybe not like forcing yourself to not, but teaching yourself other ways to like how else can you release that isn't that. Yeah, and I think that ties back into like what I was sharing and and what you were kind of reflecting back to me before about like physical practices that I like I teach practices that I personally use. And so because I, I uh, don't have a disability, I, I do like pretty um, you know, intense kind of physical practices that, you know, that require me to move my body in, in ways that like an able-bodied person can. And yeah. so, and so I teach like that as well. And so I think like by not only, you know, uh, being, you know, in collaboration and being educated by people that are maybe wheelchair users 
about ways that they can do certain practices and what works for them is something that I would like to also experientially try and do myself and experiment with and explore so that I've got some sort of understanding of it. You and I should definitely hop on a Zoom at some point in the new year. Yeah, I'd love that. P.S. We're recording this in December. I have no idea when you're listening to it, but we're recording it. So we should we should hop on a Zoom and just explore this because I think it could be really good for your practice. But aside from jerking off, I'm wondering if like you talked a little bit about kind of some of the ways that you've unintentionally perpetuated ableism. And you talked earlier about being a 16, 17 year old kid being full of like locker room humor. I'm wondering if you have any moments of where you were like blatantly ableist that you could share that we could like unpack together or did you have any thoughts around disability that were super ableist like as a young person that kind of have perpetuated through to now that we could talk about uh yeah like if i um uh so like the the thing that's that jumps out to me is um I've got a uh, cousin who has uh, cerebral palsy and is- Cool, it's awesome, so do I, yeah. yay. Right, and they're a power wheelchair user. Um, and they're also, um, they don't use words to communicate as well. And okay. um, uh, um, so like, uh, I'm gonna uh, use uh, she, her pronouns, but that we, we um, yeah, that, that's a presumption, I suppose. Um, but also because I don't have much of a uh, close relationship with, her to to kind of know um and um and i remember i remember times growing up of of just you know blatantly not wanting to go to my cousin's uh care home to celebrate christmas with her or i would i would um you know find ways to not have to talk to her at christmas time for example if she came over with her uh like support worker uh, when we were having a big family Christmas, because it was it was too difficult to try and have a conversation um, when she wasn't using words to communicate, and so um, and, and this is really um, this is really present for me because I just went up to Perth last weekend um, to go and spend an early Christmas with my family, and part of that was going visiting her in her um, care home as well, uh, and and for her to meet my my son, our son, um, which was really, uh, was a really lovely experience actually. But I definitely remember growing up being like, this is too hard. This is too difficult. I don't want to do this. Like, it's just, yeah, it was just something that I just didn't have the patience for or, or the, the empathy for, I suppose. And that, that's, that's really been something that I've, I've reflected on when you asked me that question. How was it when, when you, when she met your son, how was that? How- has, has the relationship changed and what well, there was a lot of tears um uh from uh from both of us which is really um really lovely i uh, she she is a painter so she painted a um piece of art for for my son who loved it um who grabbed it with both hands and started you know really um being enamored by it so that was like a really beautiful experience um and you know there was I don't know in terms of like how how our relationships changed um I, I guess like there's like something that I really want to want to instill in my my son is you know being empathic and being um inclusive and, and being acknowledging I suppose of people's different lived experiences and so I really want to work on my own uh 
I suppose, like reluctance to go and visit her because I want my son to be like, this is part, this is your family. This is part of your family. This is totally normal. And this is, you know, what, um, you know, this is what, what it means to be kind of like a decent human being is to treat people, you know, with, with respect and courtesy and acknowledge these things when they come up for you. Yeah. I'm curious, does your cousin, how does she communicate? Is it, is it um, a bliss board? Is it blinking? Is it? Uh, it's, it's, um, so that uh, she's able to, to, to make noise. Um, and so, uh, for the most part, it's, it's asking a lot of questions and kind of getting her to indicate, uh, either with a certain noise yes. or a different type of noise, whether it's a yes or a no, I suppose yeah. that's for the most part. Yeah. Um, I would suggest because those relations are really important and I, again, I don't know all the dynamics, but if it's comfy for both of you. I would say go back up there and say to her like, "Hey, when we were younger, I maybe had some ableist stuff. Would you? Can I? Can we spend some more time together so I can get? So I can get. I want to. I want to make sure I word it right so that I can. I can learn more from you. But you're not. I'm not expecting you to teach me. I just want to be with you and learn just naturally. You know what I mean? The more you spend, the more you spend time with us gimps, the more you learn because you have to. So I think the more you spend time with her, not expecting her to like broaden your horizons about disability, but that'll happen naturally because you're with her and you'll just wanting to show empathy, you'll see it. And I think one of the things you could teach your son too, when he gets older, tell him what ableism is. When you have the same, in the same conversation you have, this is racism, this is what racism is or how, or how it looks and why we shouldn't do it also say this is what ableism is and here's how we here's how we shouldn't you know refer to disabled people but also let him know that if he has an ableist thought he's not a bad human it's just something to work on because i think that he'll be young enough that you can instill that and it won't be scary yeah yeah i really appreciate that and and i'm i'm definitely gonna um i'm just gonna change change a few things and and really make be more of a concerted effort and there's something here that i wanted to like really um like ask you a question about which is and maybe yeah maybe this is my own unpacking to do but it's like the the um not expecting to be educated i suppose is like my my um because I've, I've come up against that a couple of times I've, I've interviewed on my podcast a couple of um first nations people and they've been you know gracious enough to come on the podcast and and essentially just educate me about certain things as I ask questions. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm really something that I try and be mindful of is just like, as you kind of mentioned before, is like not expecting to be educated, but just kind of like being there and, and, and interacting without going, okay, you need to teach me. You need to, you need to be the one to teach me about this, but just kind of by virtue of spending time learning by, experience i suppose does that, that make sense yeah it, to, yeah it totally makes sense and i think you know i always look at education i my role is different because i put myself in the role of an educator i made right. i made a job for myself where i said i'm gonna educate you here's what i do but a lot of disabled people are like fuck i don't want to be your teachable moment today i don't want to yeah. be your educator today but i think it's really about just being there with them like if you and i were hanging out in person and we were in the same room and I needed something from you, I would say, hey, I need this. Can you help me do this? Can you help me? Like, if we, let's say we were having dinner and I said, like, would you mind feeding me that food over there? You'd have to feed me, which 
you having a son is something I'm sure you're used to. Um, <laughs> but you'd have to feed me a grown 38 year old person and you'd, ha- you'd, you'd learn by doing. And so I make a joke with friends all the time, queer guy, queer guys that I'm, you know, flirty with or whatever. I'll say like, Hey, want to shove that meat in my mouth? And, you know, we'll make a joke and we'll laugh and they'll help me. And it's fine. But just from being there, seeing what I need, you learn on the go. And that way you're not saying like, Oh, I need to, I need to know how to feed you. Oh, I need to know how to do this. And if, but if I said to you, Hey, I need help in the bathroom, obviously I would, I would be there to, to guide you, but like, just being there and seeing how a disabled person in their habit, in their habit, it sounds like I'm talking about a nature documentary, a disabled <laughs> person in the world like lives is, is an education all by itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's the, that's, that's the piece that I, I need to really um, do some work on because yeah, my, my experience for the most part has, has been in spaces where, I've been in conversation with people like yourself who have put themselves in the educator role. And that's the the role that they're holding in their interaction with me. Um, I don't really spend, like if I reflect on like my everyday experience, I don't really interact with a lot of people that have disabilities, right? I don't really, I don't really have. Oh, that's of, so bad. We're awesome. Yeah. We're kind of the best. Yeah. yeah, Right. And so, so I'm, I'm yeah, really like, I suppose like if I, if I, you know, acknowledge another um, ableist, kind of thing that I do is like, I, I don't actively go out and, and, you know, um, interact with people that, that, uh, wheelchair users or that have a disability. Like I'm, 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 you know, content in my little circle of friends who are predominantly cis, het, able-bodied people, right? Like that's, um, well, I bet you though, I bet you though, if you in that group of friends you have start talking about disabilities, both invisible and visible. So some disabilities don't require a wheelchair, but they're still yeah. very much there. I bet you if you talk to those friends and really gave them a space to be like, hey, let's talk about disability for a hot minute. I'm sure one of them eventually might say, hey, I have chronic pain or I have this or I have this and I didn't say anything to you. I'm sure because, you know, the worldwide population of disabled people is 20% reported, which probably means it's anywhere from like, 20 to 50 percent of the population we're just not talking about it so i bet you if you brought that up with your friends and was like yo can we talk about disability for a minute which i know is not the easiest thing to be like to bring up in casual conversations but if you just went yo let's talk about disability for a minute i'm sure eventually a friend of yours would say actually this here's how this impacts me and you just don't know because they don't talk about it yeah. I would also recommend that you don't go in the street and see like a wheelchair and be like, hi, I want to be your friend. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. That's weird. But just, yeah. just, you know, look, look at the spaces where you go with your friends. Like if you go to the pub or if you go to this stuff, think about like, think about like, Oh, what about accessibility? Think about like, how would Andrew get in here? How would, you know, this person get in here and just, just start thinking about that. And then I think your worldview will slowly shift. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Cause yeah, something that I definitely don't want to do is just like tokenize someone who's got a disability. Right. I don't want to be like, Oh, this is my disabled friend, Right. Like that gives me like, Oh, this is my black friend vibes. Right. Which yeah, is yeah. Like, oh, yeah. What I, I don't want to tokenize or fetishize like someone who's got a disability. So that's, yeah. So I appreciate you, you kind of naming that as well. But I mean, there was so much more we could talk about. I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your time because you're great, but we could sit and do like three more hours because there was so much more that I wanted to like. <laughs> well, we um, need to tee up that, that extra conversation that we can have in the new year. 
I mean, we definitely should because for sure. But Cam, Frazier, how do the people listening, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, there's uh, two ways. The first is via social media. I am at the Cam Fraser on all social media platforms, predominantly on Instagram at the moment. Um, and if you're interested in, you know, cishet white dude sexuality, then you can come to there and, and learn something it's, new. It's such an underserved population. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I say with this with the most compassion, but I think it's the the population of people that need sexuality work the most. I agree. Um, that demographic. Uh, and uh, the other way is via my website, which is cam-fraser.com. And I've got like all my programs and podcast stuff on there as well. Um, I've got a podcast called Men, Sex and Pleasure. And um, yeah, that, those, are, those are the kind of major, major ways you can get in touch with me. Nice. Awesome. Well, it was so fun to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking the time and for being so vulnerable today and talking about and going into those uncomfortable spots with me. I really love doing this kind of stuff and giving non-disabled folks like yourself space to just be uncomfy in it for a little bit so thank you uh was there anything else you want to say before you before we kick off Uh, just a big thank you to you as well andrew for holding space for me and for yeah being you know the the role that you're in i suppose in in society in general you you know you you i I recognize the amount of energy it takes so i really appreciate you for doing that no it was such a pleasure and and i you and i are gonna we're we're gonna work on some stuff in the new year because i feel like there's a collab coming and should we definitely should do something. Totally. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks so much. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark in the books. Thank you so much for making this episode comfy, cozy, and crippled. And I hope you enjoyed sitting down with your favorite disabled person on the internet and talking all things disability. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website, andrewgerza.com, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza1. If you want to be in the show, you can, of course, email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com with your disability story. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to support Disability After Dark, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month up to $5 a month or more, or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. We at Disability After Dark, me, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting this show and Crippled Co. and all the things we do, and tune in next week when we shine a light on another disability story right here on Disability After Dark. Bye, friends! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.